en amazing. Ek ben die eerste keer wat ek Konrad ontmoet het, toe hy drommer gespeel. Het was een kop geweest wat ons gehad het in Namibie, en Konrad was die drommer geweest. Ek ontmoet vir Konrad, ek sê vir my, waar jy gaan met jou? En, so wat doen jy? Ek leid die kerk al onder in Wellington. En hy het net eenvoudig gekom te drom. So, ek het daar vir die eerste keer iets raak gesien, denk ek, in die, wat in die hart van vol 12 moet wees. Een plek waar jy bereid is om te sê, luister, ek gee nie om, wat het my gaan kost nie, ek sal net eenvoudig dien. So wat die posiesie my ook al wil gebruik, jyre, ek is bereid om daar aan te dien. En so, uh, last year, nou this year, beginning of this year, we uh, had another equipment and Conrad came to minister there, now, the Oshivambu people in Namibia can't, most of them can't understand Afrikaans. So we preach in English, uh, because we've got a lot of Oshivambu people in the community. Uh, but when Conrad came to preach, he was supposed to preach in Afrikaans. But afterwards, there's one guy, Josh. He understands very little Afrikaans. I said to him, Josh, could you follow? He says, man, I followed that 100%. I got it because the Lord had said that we must bless. And, and, you know, and I mean, that's how he preaches. You know? So it's... It's so good. It's so good. And it's, it's a real honor for me to be here with you guys, Konrad. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. All right, so, you know, the Lord did an amazing thing just now. And I think the thing that he did just now was, a, was an individual thing. So the Heere work individueel met ons, and when we come to the Heere, it's an individual thing. I have to decide to come to the Heere to come, and I have my faith in Him place, and when I have my in Him place, then the relationship that the Father wants with me, then can this be worked. But there's something that the Lord wants to do corporately with His church, and I want to focus a little bit on that today, that we have to see ourselves as plural, as well as singular. So yes, you've got a wonderful relationship with God, and it's good, and I honestly think, you know, this morning I was in Worcester and Ron Slobbert from Paul was preaching there. And one of the things that came out in the preach was that there's a depth of relationship that's possible with God. And I think we're scratching the surface. Really, I do. I think there's a, there's a richness and a depth of relationship that's available to all of us that we haven't seen yet. Now... Uh, I want to use Israel as an example because God worked with Israel corporately, most of the time. Yes, there were some incidents and there's some people that he used individually, but most of the time he's working with them uh, as a corporate, as a, as a people, as the chosen people. Now, there was a time during the history of Israel where they said, God, give us a king. And God actually said to them, but I'm your king. I'll, I'll look after you. I will sustain your life. I will be your king. They said, no, 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 we, we want a king from among us. So I think there's something within the human heart that was born with sin in which we are self-centered, we absorbed with self. In fact, we are so pleased with ourselves sometimes that we miss the things of God. So God said, look, I'm going to give you what you want. You're asking for a king, so I'm going to give you a king. And so there was a whole host of, and a list of kings that came through Israel. And this is one of the darkest times in Israel's history, when they had the kings. And I want to focus on one king there, uh, King Jehoshaphat. So there's a scripture in 1 Kings 22, verse 42 and 43. It says that Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah. She was a daughter of Shili. 
And he walked in all the ways of his father, Asher. He did not turn away from them, but did what was right in the Lord's sight. So that sounds good so far. Sounds like he's doing a good job. Then it says, however, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now, friends, what were the high places? The high places where they put the Asherah poles up and they worshipped to the goddess of Ashtaroth, which was a goddess of fertility. And these were all Canaanite gods. These gods were literally demons that they were worshipping to. And so on the high places, they would put these Asherah poles and they would build these shrines and they would burn incense in the high places. So you think to yourself, now Ash, or Jehoshaphat rather, uh, his father Ash, who was a good king, Jehoshaphat follows in his footsteps. But there's one thing that he doesn't do. He doesn't remove these high places. So the first question that I have to ask myself is why? Why would he leave these things? Because he knows that these things are leading the people astray. Well, the only answer that I can come up with is it's comfortable. The people like going to the high places. They're used to going to the high places. So, if I'm king and I don't want a rebellion and I want everybody to like me and say that I'm the best, then I'm going to leave the things that they like, that makes them feel comfortable and makes them feel at home. And I'm going to pander to what they enjoy. But the thing is, and this is, this is why I think the Lord... And by the way, I didn't share my notes with either Cody or with, um, uh, what's Cornwright? <laughs> Sorry, bro, I just had to get that one in. <laughs> I didn't share my notes with them. And so, when the Lord comes and he says, but if you want to follow me, you're going to have to lose your whole life. There's no part of your life that you can hold on to. These people kept, and they hold on to these things. Now, the beauty about the Old Testament, and this is one of the reasons why I like it so much. So, I don't know if you guys ever saw the statement that David Paulson made. He said, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. So, there's a place in the Old Testament that we see something that the people did. God says something to the people. The people do something and then God responds. It's a beautiful thing. It shows us the character of God. And I think it's important that we do this. Now, God says, what did he say to them when they left uh, the desert and they went into the promised land? One of the things that he said to them was, have no gods beside me. Let there be nothing in your life that could possibly draw you away from that relationship that you have with me. Leave nothing to chance. In Deuteronomy 5 verse 29, it says, Oh, that they had such a mind as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. So God gave them a promise. But he also said to them, if you break the promise, there's going to be consequences. So we know what the consequences were. Now, the question that I have today is, what would a high place look like in a Christian's life? If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and you have a relationship with the Lord, with God the Father, dear Jesus Christus, and did what he did, what would a 
place of comfort look like for me? Well, that scripture that Cody read in, in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, if you want to come after me, you're going to have to lose your whole life. Friends, I wonder if we truly understand what that means. Have you really thought about the fact that if Jesus says I must lose my life, it means the way that I think, my paradigm, number one, my, my gospel, my good news, the way I see it, the way that I respond to it, cannot be on my terms any longer. There's no place that it can be on my terms. It has to change and become His terms. And I think for a lot of us as believers and as Christians, we come into relationship with Jesus. And because I'm born again, and where's the lady that we baptized? What's her name? Cornane, eh? Yeah, you're baptized now. You need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the Word says. What happens next? What do I do then? Am I then okay? Am I just sorted? Now I can go back and I can live life the way that I like, on my terms. It really doesn't. It really doesn't mean that. Jesus on my terms. I'm very happy with the benefits that I get walking with Jesus. Love having the benefits. It's so good. But Lord, you're asking me so much. You're asking me to surrender absolutely everything of who I am. Is that really what you're asking me? Father, do you really want me to lay down everything of who I am? Yes, my son. I want you to lay down everything. But Lord, that is so hard. Yes. That's why I say, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. But... There's a promise involved. It says the burden is light. It's easy. You're going to carry a burden in this life, whether you like it or not. You're either going to carry the burden of sin and the yoke of sin, or you can take my yoke and put it on you. And I will come and I will give you life and life in abundance. But in order for that to happen, in order for me to walk in the fullness of what God has for me, I first have to surrender all of who I am. It was a, uh, let me say, a traditional leader in Vintuk. And uh, I met this guy through a friend, and, and he started talking to me, and he said to me, listen, why don't you and I get together once a week, and let's have a conversation about the Word. And I said, love it, because I love the Word. I love the Word of God. It's so good. Any case, and we'd met five or six times. And then he phoned me and he said to me, listen, when we meet this week, can we, can we speak about baptism? And can you explain to me what it is that you understand under baptism? I said, yeah, sure, absolutely, let's do that. So we got together that day and he said to me, all right, why don't you start? Show me what you, or tell me what you understand about baptism. I said, look, let me rather show you what I understand about baptism. Let's see what the Word of God says concerning the topic of baptism. So I took him through it and showed him the different uh, scriptures. And at the end, I asked him a question. I said to him, do you see what I'm saying? Do you see that the Word says that you need to be a believer in order to be baptized? Can you see it? 
Yes, and he sat back like this and he looked and he said, I can. I can see it. And I said to him, awesome. So does that mean that you're now going to do it differently? He says, oh man, you're asking me too much now. I studied for seven years. I'm not willing to throw that out the window. And I said, but back off. Just take a step back. Do you see it publicly? And he said, yes. And I said, well, if your heart's conviction and you see it biblically, will you not follow it? He said, the price is too high. Can't pay the price. It's too high. Sorry. And then he said to me, listen, and I think we, we can't see each other again. Our theology is too far apart. Mine is here. Yours is on the other side. So let's just leave this thing. And to this day, that's where he's caught. And I think, friends, we, we, we hear that as people sitting here that believe that as a believer you must be baptized. And we think, ah, oh, how can he miss that? How can he not want to just do that? But how many things has Jesus asked us where we also said, ah, oh, Lord, that price is a bit high. That, that's too much, Lord. You're asking me too much now. I can't pay that. How much of my life am I willing to give to Jesus? What if the guy that's standing in the front here and brings the word of God, what if I disagree with him? What if he says something that's outside of my idea or my paradigm of scripture? What do I do with that? And if what he's saying over there flies in the face of what I believe right now, so I sit and I take my Bible out and I start paging in my Bible and I'm like, oh my goodness. What this guy says is here. I can see it. What do, I, what do I do then? But it's in the face of what I think should happen. Am I going to shift? Is my heart soft enough before the Lord to say, Jesus, whatever you ask me, Lord. Do you know why God said that David is a man after his own heart? Romans is a scripture, and he says that, David is a man after my own heart because he does everything that I ask him to do. Look at the scripture that we just read in Deuteronomy that God says. God says, if only they had obeyed, I would have been with them always. They would have lost nothing. You know, I must be honest. How many TMT students are there? Just quickly raise hands. Yes, there's a lot of you guys, ne? I'm impressed with the TMT students. They, I mean, these guys are committed. They're busy. In fact, they're so busy, the only time that you as a parent hear from them is when they want money. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you find your, when you find your kid and you're like, um, hello, hello, hello. He's like, oh, yeah, yes, Dad. What's up? I'm like, hello, my son. Oh, hello, Dad. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hello, Dad. Like, how are you doing? I'm, Dad, I'm good. What you, Dad, I'm adulting. I'm busy. <laughs> but there's a place in which I see that the people that come through TMT, God does something in them. And I think the reason why God does something in them is because they give themselves 
completely. And when they come to a place where they're not giving themselves, I think they're encouraged and encouraged and encouraged and kind of slapped a little bit and then, until they start giving themselves. It's like, shh, shh, get in line, start giving yourself. But as you see that, and that's why everybody, I think all the communities, are looking for the TMT students to work into them because they know that when we receive them, these are people that are giving themselves to Jesus. And friends, that should be all of us, whether I'm part of a Bible school or not. We should be giving ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord and to what He's asking us. Because every single one of us sitting here within us, there's a gift that the Lord has placed there. He's placed something in us, first of all, for His kingdom and for His glory, number one. But number two, for each other. Remember, the Bible says that because He loved us, we love. We aren't able to love outside of Jesus. I firmly believe that. That is my belief. Personally, if you ask me, what's your theology concerning that? I will say to you that in my own flesh, I'm unable to love people well. Shame, you must ask the people from crowded house. Sometimes they struggle. They <laughs> suck you. There's a couple of people here, and it's, it's so nice to have some of our family also here. But I, I feel you guys are family as well. I really do. So 2 Timothy 2, 11 verse 13. Paul writes, he says, This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also, or we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Quick question. When Israel finally went into uh, uh, exile. When it finally came to the end, all the prophets had done their work, and the Lord drew a line in the sand. He said, this is it. Nebuchadnezzar came in, raised Jerusalem to the ground, and carried the people off. Was it only bad people that was exiled? Or was it everybody? Do you think there were some good people in Jerusalem? Do you think there were people that were actually desires of serving God. There was. But friends, we've got to recognize something, that collectively, God works with us. And there's a place in which it doesn't matter whether I'm guilty or not. God says, when it comes to, when it comes to uh, judgment, rather, where does He start? Where is He going to begin with His judgment? With us, with his church. That's where he says he's going to begin. So we have to recognize that I form part of a body. These living stones, somebody mentioned living stones earlier this evening. I don't know who it was. And I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is, so in the Bible, Paul says that we are living stones being built together into a temple in which God can dwell. Now I think sometimes the church is still just a pile of stones. We're living stones, but we're just a pile. We're not really being built together yet. Well, into this place and into this, this tabernacle, this, this holy place where God can truly begin to dwell amongst us and in us and through us. Because there's something that God wants to do through His church that He has no other vehicle to use. I'm going to show that to you in Scripture. All right, so... I think there's a place where 
as Christians, we, we think singularly. We, we, we come to church, we have a relationship with God, we have a relationship with Jesus. But when we come to church, there's always, a, there's always an aspect of, of, Lord, do for me, please. This is a good place to say amen. Is there anybody else here that struggles with that, or is it just me? No, everybody. When we come to church, we are so self-absorbed friends that there is a place that we come into church and, Lord, do for me, do for me. Or am I really coming to church thinking collectively, Lord, I can today be one of these living stones together with my brothers and sisters in Jesus, and we're going to form this holy place in which you can dwell and do whatever it is that you want to do, Father, for your glory, for your kingdom, that we would reflect you so well that anybody looking at us from the world will say, I want to be like that. That is what I'm after. That people are drawn to the church of Jesus Christ because they see the love of Jesus Christ expressed so well. Are we there? Is it even on our radar, friends, that we have to be a church, a people of God? When the spies went into Jericho, they found a prostitute called Rahab. You guys know the story, right? Does anybody know the story? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Oh, bros, why are you there for a moment? <laughs> huh? All right. So in the story, these spies are talking to Rahab. And she says, they're like, we're on our way. We're coming. We're going to do this. She says, we have heard about what God is doing through his people, Israel. We have heard and we tremble. Is the world at a place where they're turning around and say, we know and have heard about the church of Jesus Christ and tremble? Is the world there? Because they're looking at us, the church. And because of what they're seeing us and because of the reflection of Jesus that they're seeing from us, that they tremble. There's a beautiful picture of Ananias and Sapphira that came in the light to the Holy Spirit. And so, Ananias was the first one. And Peter says to him, did you really sell that land for that price? He's like, yeah. Poof. Drops dead. Who killed him? The Holy Spirit. His wife walks in, Sapphira. Did you really sell that land for that price? Yeah. She falls down dead. And it says that great fear, great fear, came into the people. Great fear of who? Of God. Great fear of God came in. Who were they looking at? Were they seeing God? They were not seeing God. They were seeing the church. They were looking at the early church. And because of what God was doing through the early church, they became fearful. And not only the people out there, the church had a healthy fear of God. If I've got a healthy fear of God, ah, and I can pick on him again. So Cody, I believe in Scripture. told you guys I love, I love the Word. And the Word says that if you spoil the, spare the rod, you spoil the child. So I never spared the rod. 
when it came to my two sons. When they stepped over the mark that I, over the boundary that I set for them, they suffered the consequences. Properly. <laughs> so, I think the last hiding he got, he must have been maybe 13, 14. I don't think he got anything after that. No. <laughs> last week. <laughs> no, it wasn't last week. And the reason why was by the time that he became a teenager, if he started overstepping the bounds, all I had to say to him was, Cody, you're not pushing the boundary. And immediately he would back off. He's like, ish, okay. Not going to push this boundary. Why? Because he had a healthy fear of what the consequences will be. Am I right? Yeah. Friends, we shouldn't be different. There's a, we should have a healthy fear of what the consequences are of us not being obedient to God. He's put boundaries there for us. He's got an expectation from us on how to live in relationship with Him. We don't get to decide how we want to do that. It is not on our terms. It is on His terms. And because it is on his terms, I need to have a healthy fear of God in this place. We have to be thinking plural. I can't just think singular. I can't just think me, myself, and Jesus. On our little island and singing happy days, Lord, and oh, Lord, you're so wonderful, and I'm on my island. and it's, I don't have to be accountable to anybody. I don't have to love anybody. I don't have to give my life to anybody. I don't have to host anybody. I don't, I don't have to do any of those things, Lord. It's just me and you. Just how wonderful is that? That is not what Jesus is calling us to. When he calls us, he says to her, you become a part of my church. And there's a place in which, in Ephesians 5, which says, husband, love your wives as Christ loves his church. Jesus loves his church. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back for Conrad and Wesley and Andre. And he's not. Sorry, bro. He's coming back for his church. And we have to be a pure and spotless bride. When Jesus is talking about the seven what in Revelation? Seven saints. He's talking about the seven churches in Revelation. So there's a place that I have to be thinking plural all the time as a Christian. I'm a part of a body. And within this body, there's a place that we have to be doing things. In Ephesians 3, 8 to 10, Paul writes, he says, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah, to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Then he says, listen to this part carefully. This is so God's multifaceted wisdom may, may now be made known through the church. To the rulers and authorities in the heavens. That scripture there is pointing to the fact that angels are not only ministering agents in the church. That's not the only function that angels have. The angels are looking at the church. They are looking at us. And they're waiting for the wisdom of God to be displayed through His church. There's a wisdom that they haven't yet seen. 
that hasn't yet been displayed, if you look at that scripture carefully, and is only going to be displayed through the church. My question is, where do we have to be in our hearts position before the Lord and with each other? What sort of love must I have for God and for you and you for me? How must I give my heart to Him and then to you in order for God's multifaceted wisdom to be displayed? So that they can see this. So that they can be a part. And they're waiting for this. There's a glimpse, almost, I feel, of the worldwide manifestation of God's mercy through Jesus that is only going to be seen through the church. The angels adore God's wisdom. They adore it. Do we adore it enough? If I understand that I'm a living stone that must be built together with all the other living stones so that God's glory can be displayed better, if I understand that well, am I willing to give myself completely to this thing called the church? Am I willing to say, Lord, I don't care what this costs me. I don't care what I have to lay down, Lord. As long as your glory can be displayed through all of us, corporately, we, your church, your bride, your body, we want to see your wisdom displayed, Father. We want to see your glory come, Lord. Or are we going to continually be in a place where it's just about what I can receive, Jesus? And me and you, Jesus, your benefits for me, Lord. The Bible says that the carnal man is self-wise, self-absorbed, and he deems this foolish. One Peter one verse twelve. Peter writes, he said, it was revealed to them, and he's talking about the prophets. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving you, he writes to the church, to the Christians. He says, These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The angels desire to look into these things. These prophets of old never got to see it. They never got to see the glory of Jesus on this earth. In my mind, that's why John is called the greatest prophet of all time. Because he was the one that pointed out the Messiah. But even John, the greatest of all the prophets, how long did he work? Six months? I don't know doesn't really say exactly how long he was on the earth. But the whole time he's like, Lord, I have to decrease. He must increase. But we're so caught up with wanting to be significant. We're so caught up in our own significance. That we're not yet at a place to say, but I'm, a, I'm just a living stone. But I'm not just a living stone. If I'm a living stone that's built together with the other living stones, then we, together, create a place in which God can dwell. I can't do that alone. I can't be a stone by myself. God can't dwell in one stone. He wants to dwell in this temple. How is that temple built? All of us. All of us together. 
all of us giving ourselves to him and to each other completely. Romans 12, 4, 5. Now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ. Individually, members of one another. Guys, this is a profound scripture. We've got to see the truth of this. So Paul is making a statement and he says, all of us, collectively, individually, are one. But we are also individually members of one another. We have to recognize the significance of the church of Jesus Christ. We have to come to a spiritual maturity within the church of Jesus Christ where I'm not just fussed about the benefits that I get following Jesus. And I'm going to have everlasting life and I'm not going to get to hell if I run the race well. That's kind of where most people are when we get born again, right? It's like, dodge that bullet. But now I can go back to, no. We have to see this is a corporate thing. We can't think singular. We have to think plural. Our obedience is an indication of our love. In John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Lord, do I love you enough, Father? To keep your commands, that says, new command, John 13, this scripture I haven't, it's just come up in my heart now. John 13, 34 says, I give you a new command. 35, he says, love one another. Let people know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. That's the command of God. But do I love you enough? And do you love me enough? That we are willing to, both of us, lay down our lives for Jesus and for his church so that he can display his glory. Not about what I'm going to get out of this. It is about his glory. It is about Jesus receiving everything. All of it. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, where it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Who do you think God is talking about when he says those words? What do you think Jesus was referring to? When he made that statement. Do you know that the vast majority of the New Testament is written to believers, not to unbelievers? Jesus there is talking to believers. He's talking to the Jews. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says to them, friends, it's easy to miss the mark. What is sin? It's missing the mark. It's easy to miss the mark. 
If my heart's position isn't one in which I am constantly asking the Lord, Father, Lord, you saved me. You put me in relationship back with the Father. How do I live my life in order to reflect you well and to please you, Lord? How do I connect with my brothers and sisters in such a way, Father, that through all of it you are glorified? Help me, Jesus. Help me to see that, Lord. I want to please you, Father. I want you to call me your friend. Jesus said to the disciples, you're no longer slaves of sin. You are now my friends. I want to be called a friend of Jesus. Why? Not because I'm special, but because I'm obedient. Because I'm willing to lay down my life and say, Father, your glory first. Whatever it is that you ask me, Father, I will do it. I do believe, friends, that as long as we do things on our terms, I think we often delay God's purpose. You know, back when I was Cody's age, 21, 22, maybe a little bit older, like 23 years old, I was a part of a, a community in Johannesburg called Christian City. And Theo Volmerans was a pastor there. Big church, big, big, big place. And he was, he was a flamboyant man. You know, he, he used to come in with three-piece suits and he'd start preaching. And as he's preaching, he'd, start, he'd take, first take off his jacket and he'll hang up his jacket. and Then he'll roll up his sleeves. And, and oftentimes, in the middle of the preach, the guy would turn around and say, Listen, I feel that the Lord is here and he wants to heal people. And he'd call people forward. and People got healed. One of the leaders there said to me the one day, he said to me, Andre, I want you to become a part of the youth ministry. And I said, the youth ministry? He said, yeah, 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 we've got a youth ministry going there, a bunch of young people, much like this community sitting right here. I mean, you guys are, you're a community of 20-somethings mainly, eh? Amen. <laughs> But I do see some older people that I think the Lord is placing here. And I think the Lord is placing the older people here because they've got some more experience with some things there. So, but in any case, he said to me, I think, you know, come and join this youth ministry. I think we can use you there, you know. And I joined the youth ministry and it was awesome. A lot of young people, we all love Jesus. We used to go out Friday evenings and we used to go and evangelize in hospitals and all over the place. We just literally, we go in groups of three and we drive all over the place and we just go and evangelize. And somewhere in that process, while I was there, I can't put my finger on it today. I can't remember what it was. But something sidetracked me. I can't remember if it was because I lost a job and I had to move to another job or whatever. I can't remember what it was. But something sidetracked me. And I went from being somebody that was on fire for Jesus to being a stone. He wasn't even on the pile. He was way out there. And I stayed there for a long, long time. Probably 30 years. I was a stone lying out in the wilderness somewhere. No good, 
to anybody. But God is merciful and God is gracious. And somewhere along the line, he got a hold of me by these short hairs at the back. And I started paying attention again. And I started following him again carefully. And as I started following him for the next 12 years, God was building into me, building into me, building into me. Until he could ask me the question and said, are you willing to serve me full time? And I said, yes, Lord, I am. To where I'm standing today. But my question to this day, what would have happened if I didn't get sidetracked there? That is my question. So I'm so grateful for what the Lord is doing in, in my son's lives. That they are being raised up and they have a relationship with Jesus that I wish I had when I was as old as they were. And I want to give you guys a, I want to ask you a question tonight. So there were two men in prison with Joseph. There was a baker and there was a cupbearer. You guys know the story? Okay. Thank goodness. It would have been really awkward if somebody said, no. <laughs> so the baker and the cupbearer both had a dream. And they came to Joseph and they said to Joseph, this is our dream. And so as the story goes, the baker, Joseph said, sorry, bro, you're done for. Your time is up. Your doppie is geklunk. <laughs> but the cupbearer, he said to him, you're going to be restored back into Pharaoh's service. You're going to literally be back the right hand of the guy, the very guy that rules the land, the head honcho. You're going back to stand right next to him. When you get back to him, when you're standing next to him again, please don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. Why do you think he did that? Again, the word doesn't tell us, but now so I want to Spitball. I think in Joseph's mind, he was like, you know what? Like, I've, I've, I've just told you what your dream is. And you don't get to die. You're going to live. And you're going to be restored back to Pharaoh. So when you get back there, I reckon if there's anybody that can pardon me out of this prison, because actually I'm sitting here innocently. I didn't do what that woman said I did. He would be the guy that can pardon me. So... Don't forget about me. The word says you forgot about him for two years. My question is, how long would Joseph have stayed in prison if he hadn't relied on man? But relied on God. And how often we put our future, what we think God is doing with us and through us, we want to put it into the hands of men. Why? When we have God. When we have Jesus. Why would you want to take it out of His hands and put it in the hands of men? I'm speculating. I've got no idea. But one thing I do know, it's possible for us to delay the purpose of God in our life when we take our eyes off Him and we start putting it on things in the world. So my encouragement to you today, friends, first of all, you have to see yourselves as this body, this beautiful bride, these living stones that God is building together. 
And he's building it together for his glory. He's building it together into this beautiful temple in which he can dwell. In which Jesus and the Lord himself with his presence can come and walk amongst us. He wants to display his manifold wisdom through us. So that the rulers of principalities in the heavenlies are waiting and looking to see how will God display his wisdom through us. We have to get this. Got to get it right. So in conclusion, friends, which part of me will I hold back from giving my all to Jesus and my all to each other? Which part am I not willing to give? Which price is too high? Amen. Um, thanks, Dad.